This is the Education Gadfly Show. State declares its intentions, declares its expectations, its hopes and dreams, if you will. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Get the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please welcome my special guest for this week, Jeremy Stern. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks. Yeah, Jeremy is an independent historian, history education consultant, and writer, and most importantly for our discussion today, the lead author of the State of State Standards for Civics and U.S. History in 2021, Fordham's newest report. Also joining us, as always, David Griffith. Hey, Mike. And as a special guest, we're doing double duty here, the original education gadfly, Checker Finn. Back again to give you as much grief as possible. (laughs) No, I get to give you grief because I'm interviewing the three of you about this new report on state standards. So let's do it on Ed Reform Update. Okay, folks, brand new Fordham report out on state standards. Now, look, our longtime listeners, and you know who you are, know that this is nothing new for Fordham. We have been reviewing state standards for almost 25 years. That is correct, going back to 1997 and Sandra Stotsky's review of state English standards back then. Not every state even had English standards back then. Since then, we have reviewed standards in all bunch of subjects. I don't know if we can name them all, Checker, but English language arts several times, math several times, U.S. history a few times now, geography, world history, Every April Fool's Day, we joke about other standards that perhaps we will cover that someday we might get to. But we're very excited. Our first ever look at civic standards and what is, I believe, what now maybe our third look at U.S. history standards. And so let's get to it. So Jeremy, David, Checker, the first question people always have about uh, looking at state standards is, come on, guys, do these things even matter? Does anybody pay attention? They're just words on a page. Even we have said that. If there's anything that matters on these subjects, surely it's the curriculum teachers are teaching or other supplemental materials they might be using. And these are subjects that often don't even get tested. They're not part of state accountability systems. So are we just kidding ourselves that these things even matter? Who wants to tackle that? We're not kidding ourselves and neither are we flattering ourselves. Standards are where a state declares its intentions, declares its expectations, its hopes and dreams, if you will, for what its schools ought to be teaching and its kids ought to be learning. But we know they're not self-implementing. They don't cause kids to learn but they send signals that usually get picked up by curriculum writers, by textbook writers, by assessment testing creators, by accountability systems, by teacher training programs. They send signals as to what the state expects. And so it's better to expect good stuff than bad stuff. And it's better to expect stuff than to expect nothing at all. Fair enough. And David, is it fair to say there are some states where there are some teeth to these standards, right? Yes, that's right. Maybe a third of states have some sort of assessment. We did not get into assessing the assessments, as it were, and social studies is not synonymous with U.S. history. So uh, I'm hesitant to say that states are really uh, requiring uh, any of these things. But, you know, we also have a few states with high school graduation requirements, civics tests, right? It's all pretty basic. But yeah, there are a few teeth out there, Mike. All right. And now tell us a little bit about this study. So Two subjects, although in most places they're part of social study standards, right? And uh, what, what did we do, David, to try to come up with some grades for the states and specific recommendations? 
Well, as you mentioned, Mike, there are two subjects, and that was probably the biggest challenge. We thought of it as a Venn diagram. So there are some topics that are clearly U.S. history, but less clearly civics. And then there are some topics that are clearly civics and less clearly U.S. history. And then there are some topics, for example, the Constitutional Convention that you would probably expect to find in standards in either discipline. And so they're really deeply entangled. And frankly, that was a huge challenge, was just not so much disentangling them, but finding a fair way to evaluate states in both simultaneously. And so basically what we did, and Jeremy can speak to this as well as I can, but we pulled together a team of reviewers, some of whom were history folks, some of whom were civics folks. And we had someone from each half of the team read through the standards, evaluate the content of the standards. Is it high quality? Is it comprehensive? Are they clearly written? And then, you know, usually we had to have a conversation, right? Because often civics and U.S. history were saying similar things, but not quite the same thing. And so I would just say a big part of the uh, process and a big part of the sort of intellectual challenge was just figuring out exactly how these two sub-disciplines, as it were, are supposed to be integrated and what a strong K through 12 sequence actually looks like if you're going to cover all of these things. Actually, it was harder even than that, because at least in K-8, in almost every state, the whole thing is part of what they call social studies standards. In high school, it tends to be more about courses, but K-8, it's part of social studies. And so digging out the U.S. history and the civics from within the social studies standards was sometimes like trying to unmake an omelet and find an egg. Uh, and uh, it uh, required our reviewers to dig deep and uh, look in these strands and other weird designations that states came up with for the elements of their social studies standards. Yeah. Also worth noting that we began the process by trying to define what we were looking for, both substantively and methodologically in ideal standards. Yes, that's right. And so we do. I mean, the, you know, our team uh, has a vision of what these look like. And, and like David said, that there's specificity, it's comprehensive. We want to see, for example, what, that there were a, a couple of passes through U.S. history before you get to high school, that there's certain topics you got you to gotta get to. If kids don't have a chance to learn them, then you haven't done your job as civics or U.S. history instructors or as schools. All right. So let's get to, next of all, the big findings. So David, five states got honor grades in both subjects, red and blue. I understand. What were those? Yeah, great question, Mike. Very quickly, the five states that we were holding up as exemplars are Alabama, California, the District of Columbia, Massachusetts, and Tennessee. So it includes red states and blue states and one jurisdiction that is not a state. Yes. And some former members of the Confederacy, which is kind of interesting as well. We'll get into all of that. Uh, and then another 20 states that basically were terrible across the board, right, that are low grades in both subjects including a couple big states, what, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Yeah, there are really too many to name, Mike, but uh, suffice it to say uh, that if you read the average states, civics or U.S. history standards, you will have no trouble understanding why most Americans don't know a lot of civics or U.S. history. Right. And probably the biggest problem, right, is that there's just not a lot there there. There's not a lot of detail. That's right. Jeremy can probably uh, grump about this at least as well as I can, but there were a lot of sort of high-fluting sounding skills-based standards that asked people to do something wasn't entirely clear what, but it was definitely going to be higher level and it was definitely going to, you know, make them thoughtful citizens. Right. Without actually knowing anything. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, Jeremy, let, let's get into the big, the, the heart of it here, which is what we are seeing in these standards. You are a historian. You gave a lead on the history part of this review. 
And as you know, we are in quite a moment in history in our country where there is a huge debate going on right now about how to teach our history to our young people. This is after the, the 1619 Project, then President Trump's 1776 Commission, and then now there's a big debate around critical race theory and systemic racism. And in comes this review, which of course started long ago, uh, before many of these controversies even were around. Um, you do say something optimistic, which is that you think that on some respects, the states are doing a better job teaching U.S. history, especially on some of these topics around race and, uh, than they were back in 2011. Tell us about that. I think by and large, there has been a modest positive trend since 2011. There have been, unfortunately, a few states that have gone the other way that had exemplary standards and watered them down. But there have definitely been some notable improvements. Tennessee is perhaps the most dramatic example. My recollection is that it was in the C range in 2011 and was A- this time. They put clearly considerable effort into uh, drafting new substantive materials. The thing that frankly surprised me more than anything else was the last time we did these reviews in 2011 on on the history side only, there were worrying signs of increasing ideological push in both directions. Texas had then just implemented its deservedly notorious 2010 standards, which were really the first major effort to push the the right-wing perspective in the culture wars and standards. There's certainly been plenty of states that have pushed the left-wing side, and there were uh, hints that other states were going to start imitating Texas's example. Instead, by and large, that has not happened. I would say that overall, the hit you over the head leftist political correctness side of things has been toned down and the amount of substance has has increased at least somewhat overall. And not only have so far no other states imitated what Texas did in 2010, Texas itself retreated significantly in a uh, 2018 revision, which failed to alter many of the structural problems and some of the ideological problems in the 2010 standards. But clearly there was a good faith effort by a group of people working on the standards to undo some of the more objectionable items from 2010. And the the overall improvement is marked. Well, it's interesting that, that the, you know, the state standards uh, folks, who I assume are mostly convened by, by the State Departments of Education and their social studies experts and probably teams. Well, Texas's board is elected, which okay. adds yep. to the excitement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But this is separate from what's now happening through the legislatures, right? I yes. Mean, very recently. It's very, you know, just, uh, I, I think it, Texas bill it, just it, finally got signed the other day. So, you know, we'll have to see how these legislative efforts around critical race theory intersect now with the standards that are on the books. Yes, Chuck. Two things should be said there. One is that a number of states have legislative activity underway in this realm. A number of other states are attempting to, through their kind of traditional mechanism to revise or update their social studies standards. So we're dealing with a point in time here that could evolve either through a revision process of a kind we've seen before or through a kind of intervention by elected officials to change uh, what is in the standards or override it is maybe a better term. That is something that uh, actively worries me. The trends that I was concerned about in 2011 that have not materialized 
the uh, current state of the political culture wars are such that I fear it may yet happen. Well, right. I mean, we've got such polarization, but also we've got the states that seem to really be heading in opposite directions here, that the red states are getting redder and the blue states are getting bluer in some ways. So you worry about them. So let's talk about that then. I mean, any of you, I mean, what does it mean for, for say, the five exemplary states to get it right down the middle, you know, to be able to present history in a way that's not trying to put the thumb on the scales either to the left or the right, but that is comprehensive, that certainly looks at all of our history in an honest way. And of course, a lot of that history is painful to look at. I mean, what, what are they doing right that other states, if they're doing it in good faith, could, could emulate? For one thing, they're doing what you just said. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're not trying to put any digits on the scale. They're trying to tell the story in a reasonably objective, balanced, and complete way. That is possible to do. I mean, arguably, the biggest lesson from this whole study is it can be done. Several of the exemplar states are quite explicit that they want students both to understand the many dark chapters in American history, but they also want students to understand the constant attempts through American history to live up to the nation's founding values. In other words, that uh, the nation's many failings don't invalidate those values. They have been challenges to those values to try for the nation to try and live up to them. I have two points to make. One is, if there's one thing that I learned from this process, it's that you can't actually tell if you disagree with someone until you get specific. I don't think I'm breaking new ground here by saying that liberals and conservatives, when they hear the same words, particularly some buzzwords, the, the latest is critical race theory, they are hearing different things. If you stay at the level of buzzwords, or you stay at the level of equity or patriotism, these sort of loaded words that sort of inherently divide people depending on who says it and how it's said because they think they're hearing something, then you're going to find it very hard to reach agreement. Um, however, if you walk into a room of liberals and conservatives and ask them to raise their hands if they think that it's important to know who George Washington was or important to know who Martin Luther King was or important to know uh, what's in the First Amendment, you will get an entire room full of raised hands. And so that's one point I would make, right, which is there is a wide body of knowledge uh, that people actually do agree on, that it's essential. And, th and then the other point I would make is that it's one thing to agree on what kids should learn about. It's another thing to agree about what we should do about whatever the issue is, right? So let me just give a really loaded example. The Second Amendment. People feel really strongly about the Second Amendment. But it is a fact that the language is somewhat ambiguous. It's a fact that for a long time, the Supreme Court didn't rule one way or the other about whether there was an individual right to own a gun. And it's a fact that eventually they did rule that the correct, that the interpretation was that you do have that right. And then it's a fact that they left some wiggle room, right? Essentially saying this is not an absolute right. There's still, you know, time, place and manner restrictions that might apply that states could, you know, pass legislation limiting it in certain ways, those are all facts. And they're not really contestable, right? They don't really depend on whether or not you're a liberal or a conservative. And so, you know, you don't have to agree <laughs> on everything, you know, in terms of the size of government or whatever, to come up with uh, some decent civics and US history standards. It's enough to agree on what's important and what we're arguing about. Um, and you can make a lot of progress just by sort of sticking to that. Okay, I like it. 
Uh, yeah. A couple other questions here. You know, we at Fordham have been accused over the years of caring so much about knowledge that, you know, we just care about trivia. Why do you need to know all this stuff anymore when you can just look it up? Shouldn't we care about those critical thinking skills some more? How do you think about this in, in these subjects? I mean, it's certainly the case that if you wanted to know history of the American people in detail, it's a lot. And so you do want kids to be able to do things with the knowledge, like write about it and make a strong argument. Uh, and in the civics world, there's this debate about, is it just knowing you know, what a bicameral legislature is, or is it about knowing how to exercise your civic rights and responsibilities? How, how did you think about all of that? Well, we did more than think about it. We dealt with it. We are no longer culpable on this accusation. Uh, we have entire section for every state on skills and dispositions, the skills you need in history to um, go with the knowledge, the content, the skills and dispositions that you need in civics to be a citizen. Uh, so we have dealt with this quite frontally and directly. I think on the whole, it's a change from our previous um, uh, reviews. And on the whole, it's probably an improvement. Yeah. But what about the trivia question? I mean, is it the case that the standards we like have a ton of detail and that some teachers are going to say, it's impossible for me to cover all of this history in you know, one year or all of this civics in one semester? Well, Mike, they don't have to cover it all in one year. That's one of the main things that I hope comes out of this report is that, frankly, like all sort of promoting to, to our own porn aside, I really hope we have a conversation about how many years of K through 12 are devoted to this, this sort of thing. There are 13 years of education, right? 13 years of social studies. You could devote four of those to making two, two-year passes through US history. And you would only have nine years left. <laughs> you would only be left with nine years to cover world history and economics and so forth. It's just simply ridiculous that we're having, you know, some conversation about whether or not we have time for this and that. We have years and years of public schooling during which we can well-inform kids on many, many subjects, uh, historical. It just does not make sense to, to sort of limit ourselves to, oh, well, you can't cover this in a semester. That's a ridiculous starting place for the conversation. But the question should be, can you cover this in five years? Well, David, having said that, which is, of course, absolutely correct, we do recommend at least two passes through U.S. history during the course of K-12, not just one. We don't think colonial history should just be left to the fifth grade, and you should never hear about it after you're 11 years old. Uh, we think you should learn about it again in high school when you're older and more mature and sophisticated. But as for the sort of trivial pursuit stuff, we don't itemize a thousand things that you need to know about American history. Jeremy, I think in particular, has done an admirable job of distinguishing the wheat from the chaff here and making clear that there's important stuff and there's less important stuff. And I don't think we're encouraging people to just do a whole bunch of memorizing. Is that a fair characterization, Jeremy? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think it's also important to, in terms of the purpose of standards, that you're not just giving, at least in high quality standards, a laundry list of things that teachers need to cover, you know, and there's this, there's this, there's this. High quality standards also help provide guidance to the teachers themselves about depth of knowledge, about background information. That was why the sadly defunct prior South Carolina support documents, which were rated best of the in the nation in the 2011 review, were so extraordinary. They provided a detailed expository narrative 
an entire section of which was material that teachers didn't necessarily have to cover, but which they should know. We, sh- we should make sure we can retrieve that document and put it on our website, David, because that, that'd be a shame for people not to be able to get to that. South Carolina right. actually still has it on their website. It's, it's noted, okay. noted in a footnote in the current review. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there's a lot more to cover uh, in this. So I hope that people will take a look at this incredible uh, work that Jeremy and his colleagues did over the last year and more. It's called The State of State Standards for Civics and U.S. History in 2021. Thank you again, Jeremy Stern, David Griffith, Checker Finn. Really appreciate what y'all did on this uh, this epic undertaking. Thank you very much. Good. All right. Well, that is all the time we've got for this week. So, David, until next week. David Griffith. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, signing off. The Education Gapfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at fordhaminstitute.org.